Take out your Bible. Open up to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 7 this morning. I have a, I have a shelf in my office uh, of books that's just all Christian living. That's the, that's the label. It's just all books about Christian living. And there's different, different categories. A lot of them are spiritual disciplines, things that, that we need to, to do to li- live a better Christian life that talk about like praying more and, and uh, reading your Bible more in times of like solitude and those kinds of things. Uh, some of those books are about spiritual gifting and, and how uh, to figure out what your spiritual gift is and how to use it uh, for God's grace. Some of the books on Christian living are just about different different character traits and how to build those things in your life, like humility and and, and grace and how to grow in our in our holiness and uh, and I love the books that are essentially a study through a book of the Bible, but with a heavy emphasis on application. How do you take what this book is saying and directly apply it to your life and make changes and adjustments that are in keeping with what God's word says. And that's, that's to uh, like a large extent what I do here on Sunday mornings. What I try and do is take this book of the Bible that we're studying, this passage that we're in and apply it to our lives. What does this mean for us and how we live our lives today. I don't think there's ever going to be an end to people writing books about how to live the Christian life. Because uh, as as believers, as people who are Christians, who've been saved, like one of the biggest things that we want to know, usually right after we're saved, what we want to know is, okay, now what? Now what do I do? What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to behave? And my guess is that most of you are here today in this room because you want to know how to live that Christian life better. Or you're looking for some encouragement on how to continue to walk that Christian walk in a way that is, that is faithful to God. The, the starting point to our Christian life is, is relatively simple. Like entrance into Christianity isn't that complicated. Really, it's simply through faith in Jesus Christ, that we take hold of this grace that God freely gives us, right? It's not by works. Uh, it's, not, it's not by cleaning ourselves up so that hopefully we'll be good enough to be able to present ourselves before God. That, that's not how... It's not how it works. It's not, it's not like a balance sheet, right? Where we, where we try and make sure that the good outweighs the bad. And so when we die, there's a little bit more good than there is bad. And hopefully that gets, that, that's not how it works. That's, that's not what saves us. It's just simple repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. That, that step, that step of faith and trust in Him, it leads to salvation. And if it's sincere, it sparks in us this, this growing love for God. We rec- recognize what He's done for us. Like we, we understand where we were headed, that we were headed for an eternity in hell and how awful that is. And, and because, just because He loves us, just as a free gift, He saved us through Jesus. And when we, when we understand that, when we see that, we are filled with a desire to like follow and obey and honor God because of just how great this gift is that He's given us. We want to live a life that is honoring to Him. 
And that process that, that he takes us through, that process of changing and cleaning us up and making us more and more like Jesus, that process is called sanctification, right? It's a process of, of holiness, and it takes our whole life. None of us will complete that process uh, here in this world because in this world we have temptation and we have that old sin nature that, that keeps uh, tugging at us. But... Even in the midst of that struggle, we understand that we're different now. That we are, we are Holy Spirit filled now. That we are heavenly minded now. That we're no longer enslaved to sin anymore. And so we come to church. Come to church and we pray. We read the Bible. And we buy lots and lots of books about Christian living because we want to live a life that's honoring to Him. Here in Acts uh, chapter 6 and 7, uh, Luke shares with us the final hours of this guy named Stephen, this, this Christian man. If you remember just a, a couple weeks ago, the disciples uh, chose seven men uh, to help uh, pass out bread and take care of that. St- Stephen was one of them. One of the first deacons. His death here in chapter 7, marks this this pivot point in the life of the early church. Up to this church, uh, Christianity has primarily been uh, proclaimed to Jewish people. It's been centered in Jerusalem. They've been hanging out in a certain spot uh, in the temple. But they've gotten a ton of heat, right? I mean, the the Jewish leaders don't like it. They've already been arrested. Uh, A couple of times they've been flogged. They've been threatened. The the Jewish leaders want to kill them. They want to stamp this out. They absolutely hate the followers of Jesus, but don't have the guts to put any of them to death. Not until Stephen. Something finally snaps, and they just unleash all their anger and all their hatred on him. And that event sparks this persecution that just breaks out against Christians. Believers are scattered all throughout the area, all throughout Judea and Samaria. But even that, even that, that scattering is a part of God's plan, right? Because, because as the Christians go to all these different places, the gospel goes with them and they tell everybody about Jesus and it spreads like crazy. Stephen here has the unfortunate distinction of being the first Christian martyr. But I don't, I don't think he should be known uh, primarily for his death. I really think he should be known for how he lived his life. He is an amazing example for us of what the Christian life should look like. And, and really, it's just here in these few chapters that we get this, this snapshot of the life of Stephen. But there's a lot to it. Look at Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 8. Says Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some of, uh, some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, came from Cilicia and Asia, rose up again, uh, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. 
They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man is incessantly speaking against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Stephen here models for us a Christian walk. Look at the words that are used to describe his life. Full of grace and power. Verse 5, he's described as a man that's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. The Christian walk is one that will be full of grace and faith and Holy Spirit empowerment. Full of it. That word that's used there, uh, translated full, it means influenced by or controlled by. It's, a, it's an interesting concept. I think sometimes when we think of this, this being f- full of, it's, it's, a, it's a quantity, right? It's a measure like we're half full, we're three quarters full. Uh, but I, I don't think that's what this means. I think really it means controlled by, led by. And either you're controlled by the Spirit of God or you're not. Either you're controlled by one thing or you're controlled by something else. It's really hard to be kind of a little bit controlled by one thing and then also a little bit controlled by something else. At any given time, we're either allowing the Spirit of God or something else to control us. And we understand... like. First of all, we get the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation, right? Like we're all that, it's not like, it's not like you get like a starter Holy Spirit or, or a taste of the Spirit and the rest of the Spirit comes sometime. No, we're, we're completely filled. Uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1. It says, in him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. What Paul is saying is that the moment you heard the Gospel and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. He, he's there. He's in you. In Romans 8-9, Paul says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So either you're a child of God, saved by grace through faith, indwelt by the Spirit of God, or you're not. Those are the only two options. But what I think what we see with Stephen, here's a man who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but also led by, controlled by, guided by the Spirit of God. There's... That's the part of it that, that we still have a, some measure of choice in, right? I mean, we, again, we know we're no longer slaves to sin, but there's times where we still allow that old sin nature to grab at the steering wheel and do the controlling. And Paul in, in Ephesians 5 says this, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
Again there, I think what he's talking about is control. Don't allow alcohol or any other substance or any other emotion or any other feeling or anything else to control you. Don't let anything control you except the Holy Spirit of God. That that Spirit should be the only guiding, leading, controlling force that you allow in your heart. The Bible talks about a lot of other options that we have as, as far as what can fill us, what can, what can control us. It talks about uh, people who are filled with anger, right? It's, it's that anger that controls them and it controls their words and their actions, their behaviors. The Bible talks about people who are filled with jealousy or filled with fear or filled with sadness. Those emotions have the power to take control. And if we allow them to direct and to lead and to guide, then it's going to inevitably lead to sin. So as as believers in Jesus Christ, who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, we no longer have to be controlled by anything else. We no longer have to be filled with those other things. Instead, just like Stephen, we need to be filled with grace and with faith and with God's Spirit. The people that knew Stephen said, here's a guy who is filled with faith, filled with grace. If we were to ask your spouse or your friends, what are they filled with? What would they say about you? What are you full of? Mm. <laughs> Might not want your wife to answer that. <laughs> Stephen not only walked the Christian walk, but he talked the Christian talk. And he did a lot of talking here. But he, he exemplifies for us how a Christian speaks. A Christian's speech is filled with the great things that God has done. It's always filled with God's glory and greatness. And, and I, w- I won't read the entirety of, of Stephen defending himself against his accusations because it's long. But if you want like a really good Reader's Digest condensed version of the entire redemptive history in the Old Testament, just read chapter 7 here. It's amazing. I mean, here Stephen really takes them through all of these different major phases of God working throughout the Old Testament. And he he shows at each point it's always about Jesus. It's always God leading to Jesus. The reason why we keep talking about Jesus so much, Stephen says, is because from back then, it's always been leading up to that. It's always been, it's never been about anything. It's never been about Moses or the temple or the law. It's always been about Jesus. They thought though, they thought their salvation was about land. And Stephen reminds them in verses four and five that the promise was made to Abraham before he was even living in the land. He personally didn't even own a foot of it. Moses standing in front of the burning bush, Stephen talks about he has to remove his shoes because where he's standing is holy ground. Because holy ground is anywhere that God meets with His people. It's not confined to a certain geography. Our salvation isn't about land. 
They thought, they thought it was about Moses, and Moses was their salvation. Stephen reminds them how, how even in Moses' day, people rejected him and rejected the law and tried to make idols. Even Moses himself said, there's coming another prophet, one like me. Moses isn't your salvation. They were, they were accusing Stephen of bad-mouthing the temple. That was their place where they went uh, to offer sacrifices and get atonement. They, they saw the temple as their place of salvation. But Stephen reminds them, God had said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. God's, God's not confined to your temple. He even said so. So all Stephen does is simply share straight from the Word of God And his history lesson teaches them a couple of things. One, God is way bigger than they think. And I think that's always the case. I think that's always something that we discover when we study the Word of God, that God is always way bigger than we think He is. We have a tendency to try and make Him a little bit smaller so He fits in our thinking. God's bigger than we think. His promises are unchanging and God is unchanging. And the, the second thing that Stephen's uh, speech teaches them is that, boy, those Jewish people, the people of God, have a long, long history of rebelling and rejecting God's work, God's salvation. And everything that Stephen has said up to this point uh, is true. It's all God-honoring. It's all purposeful. And he, and he drives it home with these words. Look at Acts chapter 7, verses 51-53. through 53. He says, You men who were stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Wow. <laughs> Stephen's speech here is it's filled with Scripture, right? It, it's it's focused on the things that God has done and it is pointed right at their hearts. Like it's intended to sting a little bit. It was meant to convict them and to bring about repentance and change. When I read those verses, that 51 through 53 there, it seems so harsh, right? I mean, even a little bit mean on Stephen's part. Here's a guy who is filled with grace, but yet these words seem so condemning. He calls them stiff-necked murderers who don't keep the law. Those are fighting words, right? But we know, we know that Stephen is full of grace. And we know that he loves these people. We know that. But what we see here is he loves them so much that he's, he's telling them what they need to hear. Not, not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. 
He speaks truth here in love. He speaks the truth, and the truth here is ugly, and it's convicting, and it is hard to hear. He was purposefully trying to tear down their arrogance and their pride and bring them to a place of sorrowful repentance. There's going to be times when we speak to people about heaven and hell and eternity, and we need to be really clear and even convicting. We need to be really clear about the consequences of our choices in this life. Because listen, we love you. We feel like we need to tell you that the path you're on is leading to hell. It's leading to destruction. Stop rejecting God. Stop being hard-hearted. Stop rejecting this gift that He's so freely giving you. That's that's the heart of Stephen's message. Let let go of that, that selfish pride. I know it, it feels weird to us. I mean, like, who are we? Who are we to pass judgment on someone else and what they think and what they believe? Who are we to tell somebody that they're wrong for not believing in Jesus? Who are we to make someone feel bad about what they're doing? I think, I think when we have that kind of, of mentality that says it's not, it's not our right, it's not our place to tell people about the gospel or about the consequences or about Jesus, I think it reveals one of two things. Either we don't really fully believe the gospel or we don't really care that much about other people. We care more about what other people think of us. But if we believe the gospel, if we believe that it's true, if we believe that there really is a heaven and a hell, and if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, then we're not going to be able to stop talking to people about it. We're not going to be able to keep silent about it. We will look for every opportunity to share with others all of the great things that God has done. And if we really love people, like Stephen, Stephen loved his accusers, then we're gonna, we're gonna warn them. We're gonna exercise some tough love, whatever that means. I mean, because this isn't, this isn't like a debate over which ice cream flavor is the best. Yeah, we can agree to disagree about that. This is eternity, right? This is life and death. The Christian who has been transferred from death to life, who is filled with the Spirit of God, will not be able to stop talking about it. God's glory will continually be on our tongues. All the way until the day we die. So Stephen is a man who he walks the walk, he talks the talk, but even in his death, he's an example to us of what the Christian life should look like. Look at Acts 7.54. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick. So they were convicted, right? It worked. (laughs) But instead of that conviction leading to repentance, it leads to anger. And that anger controls them. 
They began gnashing their teeth at Him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at Him with one impulse. When they had driven Him out of the city, they began stoning Him. The witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that name because it's going to come up again later. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Even in his final moments, Stephen is a man that is full of grace, full of the Spirit. I don't think it's a coincidence that Stephen's final words mirror some of the final words of Jesus. Jesus said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Oh man, what love. Stephen died with the Lord that he loved in view. He lived his life with a deep devotion to Jesus. And so it makes sense that he literally gets to see Jesus at his death. Stephen's death is ugly. It's ugly and it's tragic and it's frightening. But it's also glorious and encouraging. Jesus is waiting for him. There is a a real heaven. An actual real heaven. We really, literally enter into the presence of Jesus when we die. Just like Jesus told that thief on the cross, today you get to be with me in paradise. And Paul understood that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. And I've I've been around enough people in their final hours to have witnessed this peace that comes over people. It's almost like they have a similar vision of heaven. Like they get to see the Lord in their final moments. And, and there's nothing, nothing but peace in their hearts. That's what's in store at the end of the Christian life. This, this glorious homecoming. Release from suffering and pain here. All the, all the hope and anticipation is realized. Our faith is turned to sight. All the promises of the Bible that we've been reading about our whole lives Come true. Let's let's walk every single day of our lives here on this earth. A Christian walk in a way that is controlled by the Spirit of God, so much so that we're filled with grace and faith. And, And talk the Christian talk where we share continually about the great things that God has done for us. 
And at the end of our Christian life, we get to die knowing that we spend all eternity with Jesus Christ our Lord. God, thank You for that blessing. Thank You for that hope that we have in You. Thank You that there's this confidence that we get to spend all eternity in Your presence. Thank You for the example of the life of Stephen. And I pray, dear God, that we would be filled with, controlled by, Your Holy Spirit and not anything else. Lord, I I pray if there's anything else in our lives that's trying to take control, that You'd get rid of it. Remove it. Replace it, Lord, with grace and faith. I pray, dear God, that the words that we speak would be filled with grace. That would be all about You. That we would boldly share this amazing Gospel of salvation with those who need to hear it. And God, I thank You that that we have that hope of eternity with You. Lord, again, You are such a good God. There's so many promises that You've made to us. Help us hold fast. Thank You that You hold tight to us. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen.